Hello and welcome to Not So Molly Mormon Podcast. Hi, it's Kelly. And this is Katie. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. And yay, again, Kelly. Woo! Woo. <laughs> um, today, friends, uh, we are going to be talking about something that Kelly so graciously has offered to chat about, um, which is, uh, I guess, it could be a combination of religious trauma and CPTSD, right? Yeah, and we'll focus on um, those, yeah, religious trauma and how it leads to CPS, CPTSD, like CP yeah. <laughs> post-traumatic, yeah, CPTSD and um, what that actually means, uh, right. but Katie, first. <laughs> yes, you know oh, got? I forgot about opening exercises. How That's could okay, I? That's okay, sister. It's okay. Oh, oh, you know, right. we're not all perfect, and um, <laughs> it's okay. Nobody's perfect except Jesus. I mean, <laughs> no. our big brother. Oh, um, boy. <laughs> okay, so this uh, this journal, again, comes from my student journals, because this is a heavier podcast uh, episode, I guess, if I'm ever on here. <laughs> It's going to be heavy in some way, um, but uh, this comes from October 9th of 1996. Okay. It's about my worst day. Okay. Your worst? Day. My worst day that year. My worst day this year was the day after my 16th birthday. So uh -oh. this is timely because my birthday's coming up, you guys. It is. It's I coming know. up to soon. I'm so and I've excited. never liked it. And we'll share that podcast of why I, I, I've never liked my birthday. But anyway, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I said the night before I had gotten to bed after two o'clock doing homework, of course. And I had to get up early for um, FCA, which is the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, you guys. What? They let me join even though I was Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> um, which I was late for that. It took a nosedive for the worst fourth period, though. We were off fourth period because it was a Friday, so I was going to go to the store. Well, I was backing out of the parking lot, and I backed into Emory Banker's 95 Jeep Cherokee, which means oh, that yeah. it was pretty new, right? Emory <laughs> oh, no. Banker, you guys, was the justice of the peace for Honey oh. Grove. And he was also a teacher at the high school oh, because that's no. how small towns work. So, yeah, oh, I dented his new beautiful uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee um, with my with my Ford Fiesta, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, back to him. And I said the day after I got my license. It was literally the day after I got my license. Um, oh. It was horrible. I went and told Mr. Banker, and I was crying. It did $502 worth of damage. Oh. I don't know why I had to specify the $2, but it was important. Every dollar hurts, man. It does, and it didn't even scratch mine, which I, I was driving a piece of shit. Anyway, if that wasn't bad enough, even more stuff happened, you guys. Uh -oh. I went to the Rio Grande. And practically had to jump up and down to get service. <laughs> What's the Rio Grande? It's like this little Mexican restaurant. I think they have some um, okay. chains here in Texas. But okay. I jumped up and down to get waited on. Oh, no. and 
we didn't even have water or chips and hot sauce, you guys. <laughs> I love that this is in there because it's yeah. like you went from hitting a car to <laughs> there was bad service at the Rio Grande. No. <laughs> So uh, it was so upset about that. Then marching in the homecoming parade, the flags. I was in the color guard, you guys. I was um, in the flag corps. Yes. Uh, the flags didn't have a routine. We had nothing to do. So we just stood there at right shoulder the entire parade. Then at the pep rally, when we were doing our routine, we had a tape. Well, we didn't hear it start and it threw all of the flags off and we looked stupid. Oh, <laughs> And an end to a wonderful day, we lost our homecoming game. Womp, womp. <laughs> that was my worst day. Can I just say that day sounds exhausting. You did so many things in one day. Oh, that, yeah. I mean, that's literally been my life because <laughs> that's how I roll. Uh, comfort and chaos, Katie. We learned that last week, right? Oh, man, yes. Oh, your worst day. Poor little baby Kelly. <laughs> yeah, but, you know... I survived. <laughs> I'm glad you survived to tell the tale. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Um, I need. We needed that. I feel like that was a nice little, like a pre-palate cleanser to yes. kind of a heavy topic, right? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Well. So how this is gonna work, listeners, is I have a few notes I'm going to share, and then Kelly is going to take over. So I found a an article titled When Religion Becomes Traumatic. It was written by Beth Alford, February 2nd of 2023. And it says, Ooh, recent. Yes, recent. Dr. Marlene Winnell was the first person to use the term religious trauma syndrome to describe the wide array of emotional issues people face as they leave authoritarian religions psychological harm, including fear, anger, depression, loss of self, agency, and decision-making. After her own experience coming out of fundamentalism, Winnell began to notice similar issues with her therapy patients and has focused her entire practice on helping victims and training other professionals in how to work with religious trauma ever since. Very oh, God. Can I just say that now she's my hero? Right? I, I think that's so wonderful and so <sighs> needed, right? God, it's I love it. Yeah. So religious trauma is different from spiritual abuse, though it can include abuse. It refers to the overlying religious system that is characterized by captivity and psychological domination and results in an erosion of the personality and characteristics of comp complex PTSD outlined by Judith Herman in her groundbreaking work, Trauma and Recovery. So I think that they're like the complex PTSD and religious trauma syndrome, they have a lot of overlap, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Okay. The development of religious trauma syndrome can be compared to the development of complex PTSD defined as a psychological disorder that can develop in response to prolonged repeated experience of interpersonal trauma in a context in which the individual has little or no chance of escape. Mm -hmm. Symptoms of RTS are a natural response to the perceived existence of a violent, all-powerful God who finds humans inherently defective along with regular exposure to religious leaders who use the threat of eternal death, unredeemable life, demon possession, and many other frightening ideas to control religious devotion and the submission of group members. I mean, 
so relatable, right? (laughs) Right. Hi, it's you. You're the problem. It's it's, you, Mormonism. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Members of the LGBTQIA plus community are at particular risk of RTS and CPTSD as they attempt over an extended period of time to alter their sexual orientation and gender identity Mm. to fit the expectations of authoritarian religious communities. The process of attempting to alter one's orientation can create emotionally abusive thought patterns that are prone to exacerbate the CPSD-like symptoms of RTS. Chronically living in fear of eternal damnation and lifelong separation from loved ones and religious communities if they fail to comply with sexual identity restrictions can induce long-term symptoms of RTS. Yeah, I, I know. It's, we're really getting into it. So I just have a little bit. So I, that was the end of that article, but I found some other interesting things across the internet that I wanted to share just to kind of preface what we're going to be talking about. Um, it says people subject, subjected to prolonged repeated trauma develop an insidious progressive form of post-traumatic stress disorder that invades and erodes the personality. While a victim of chronic trauma may feel after the event that she is not herself, the victim of chronic trauma may feel herself also be changed irrevocably, or she may lose the sense that she has any self at all. Which, yeah. holy shit, yeah. uh, isn't this all just like ringing through to you? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah that, it's so, it's, right? it's like a gong going <laughs> It's the gong okay. show. <laughs> it's the gong show. <laughs> Um, As individuals identify the harm they are experiencing in authoritarian religious settings, their concerns may be minimized by the religious group itself, but they can also be compounded by society's investment in positive views of religion. Institutional betrayal, first at the hands of beloved religious communities, and second at the hands of a world that upholds the utility of religion rather than the experience of religious abuse survivors can make symptoms of RTS worse. I thought that was so um, spot on and I hadn't ever found a way to articulate that before because you've experienced this too. And just making the podcast, we get a lot of comments from people that even aren't Mormon and they say, why are you speaking, you know, ill about this religion? You should just leave it alone. And it's really difficult when society as a whole doesn't want to listen to the yep. abuse victims. They want to just hold up the institution of religion. Yep. Yeah. Especially in America. Especially in, in the States, right? Yeah. It's bad. Uh, Which as... is so fucking ironic. Can I just say, Truly. sorry, sidewalk cupcake, but <laughs> this fucking country was built on religious freedom. That means we're free to worship Cheeto if we really want to. <laughs> I want to worship Cheeto. Oh, I do. Um, <laughs> but you're so right. It's the freedom to worship who or what you want or, hey, not, not at, all. at all. Like, I mean, <laughs> the, the whole thing was no persecution. And like, I'm sorry. I feel attacked all the time being agnostic or atheist or whatever. I don't Me even know. Too. What and so, you know, fuck you guys. That's that's what I have to say about that. Yeah, that we live, and especially I think, um, you know, you you live in Texas, mm-hmm. I live in Arizona, and luckily I live in kind of a liberal part of the city. But but in certain states, it's extra bad in terms of religion invading the law and government and all of this stuff. It's yeah, so that's a whole other rabbit hole we could go on. But Oh, yeah, because, like, my mind was already going down it. Thank you for stopping me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, as symptoms of religious trauma syndrome, psychologists have recognized dysfunctions that vary in number and severity from person to person, including these are religious trauma syndrome um, dysfunctions or symptoms. It says confusion, difficulty with decision making and critical thinking, dissociation, identity confusion, anxiety, panic attacks, depression, suicidal ideation, anger, grief, guilt, loneliness, lack of meaning, sleep and eating disorders, nightmares, sexual dysfunction, substance abuse disorder, rupture of family and social network, employment issues, financial stress, problems, problems getting back into society, interpersonal dysfunction, emotional, intellectual, social, and sexual immaturity resulting from the control of information and discouragement of critical thinking within the religious environment. Katie? I have never looked into religious trauma, shockingly enough. I've just, I didn't know it was an actual, like, thing. I mean, I knew that, obviously, religious has, tra you know, traumatic things. But I've never, like, listened to the symptoms or thought about right. what that does. It, I, I feel so seen right now. And mm -hmm. um, it's incredible. Like, I, I had no idea how yeah. literally everything you said was just like triggering all these memories and right. um god it's, it's like every time I come on here with you it's <laughs> literally like just a group therapy session um because oh. I learned so much each time oh I learned so much too I didn't know this before looking it up and and reading through those those symptoms I was like what yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting that you brought up group therapy because this um, final little section here says, group therapy appears to be an effective treatment for recovery from religious trauma and numerous service have, services have developed to offer this, including professional recovery groups, peer support groups, and online forums. Oh, how did you yeah. do? These may be effective because one, those in recovery have lost primary support systems of family and church, and two, Social support, social support is a primary human need and relevant in understanding the physiology of trauma and the social context of treatment helps people feel less alone and less at fault, Aww. which that yeah. just made me almost get emotional because I feel like we have that group support in this little ex-Mormon community that we yeah. have built and Every person I talk to about it, we all just want to support each other because we understand and we want we want people to know I felt that and I've been through that and I've I've I had those you. symptoms and I see you and I understand you and you're worthy and you're not you're not evil, you know, this isn't your fault, you're not alone. Uh so I I'm I, I just thought that was really cool and I think it's very interesting and probably way more people have religious trauma syndrome then they even might they even might not know they have it right well exactly and um that's what's so interesting I don't think you realize it until you leave oh oh yeah yeah no you it, it only surfaces when you leave and even then it probably is like a lot of introspection and being like why do I feel this way yeah <laughs> as yeah. to like what's going on right mm-hmm Yep, yep, yep. So that was my segment. And, um, Thanks. Now, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. <laughs> now the floor is yours. We'll see oh, God. You okay. So you mentioned complex PTSD, and um, I didn't know 
what that was until I saw it on my list of diagnoses. Um, I saw complex PTSD and I was like, I do not have, and I have regular PTSD too, which is great. Um, But I was like, I don't have the right to have post-traumatic stress disorder. I haven't gone to war. I haven't been in a major accident. I haven't been involved in anything like traumatic in my mind. Um, So, you know, I was curious about the, the diff, like what is trauma? What is it? Um, So like, I actually went to the dictionary to find out the, the definition of trauma because people use it so flippantly now they're like, Oh my God, that's so triggering. Oh, traumatized. You know, Mm-hmm. It's a real fucking thing, you guys. And it's kind of insulting when people like make fun of it, just so you Absolutely. know. Absolutely. To me, it's similar to, um, you know, before I learned any better, you know, when I was much younger and I would be like, oh, I'm so OCD about this. When it's mm-hmm. like, no, I don't have OCD. You do not use, should not use that term lightly. And same with, with trauma or PTSD, if something's just bothering you or it's a little inconvenience, it's not trauma. And I have been guilty of using that language in the past when it was not not applicable. So that's an important thing to bring up. You know, a lot of the things that I do on my social media is that just kind of informing people of stuff that you've never thought about. Yeah. Um, Or you just don't realize, like people don't know how to talk to somebody who is mentally struggling. And Mm -hmm. so I just want to teach people that you don't have to say anything perfect you just have to acknowledge the fucking person jesus yeah. <laughs> God. It's as simple as that right it, it really is so the definition of trauma is a deeply distre- distressing or disturbing experience okay yeah well so see, i mean that it's makes broad. it that, yeah that's a lot broad, but it also really help, helps in terms of it doesn't have to be like you said um something that happened to you while you were at war, which is certainly traumatic, but oh God, it yeah. can be something that would just happen in your day-to-day life that maybe you're told, oh, that's not a big deal. But if it was a big deal to you and very distressing, then it's valid, right? Exactly. Yeah. And um, so looking into what is complex post-traumatic stress disorder, um, because I'd never heard of it before. And it's something that's fairly new. Um, People are just finally realizing that you don't have to be involved in some like major, like significant, singular traumatic event in order to, um, to have all of the symptoms and uh, responses that you get with, you know, typical PTSD. Right. Um, So this, and I'll go into a little bit of the science of it because when I was in um, group therapy, I, learned so much and it helped me by knowing how my brain is working because it's like you get a little bit of control of the chaos because you're like I understand what's happening Mm -hmm. I can I can you know prepare for it kind of thing so um complex PTSD is just something that uh it appears frankly in people who've been abused by someone who is supposed to be their caregiver or protector Mm -hmm. um and they say examples include survivors of human trafficking or ongoing sexual abuse by a relative. I mean, if, yes. yes. It also says other examples of long-term trauma include being a prisoner of war, living in an area of war for long periods of time, ongoing childhood neglect. And I was reading that. I was like, I don't count. Um, and also religious trauma. <laughs> so, Oh, there it is. Yeah, there <laughs> it is. 
And, you know, there are actual risk factors because not everybody who is in the Mormon church, and I'm going to just specifically kind of gear this towards religion, uh, because, you know, there are other traumatic events that are valid and should be discussed, but this isn't, this isn't what we're going to focus on. Um, Also, disclaimer, I am not a therapist. (laughs) And neither am I. I don't even have a bachelor's degree. (laughs) I have graduated and have a doctorate in the School of Life, you friends. School um, of Life with Dr. Kelly. With Dr. K. (laughs) Um, So uh, the risk factors are if you have an underlying mental illness, such as anxiety or depression, or you have a family history of it. Um, Also, your personality traits, like your inherent self, your core, um, which is your temperament, like it can also, you know, make you more susceptible to um, not processing trauma properly right after the events. Okay. Okay. Um, And it's also, I mean, your brain, how your brain regulates those hormones, those neurochemicals, especially the response to stress, like your brain kind of learns how to respond to these things. Um, in a way that it feels safest. Mm. Um, and also like lifestyle factors. Like if you have gone a long time without a job, if you uh, don't have a strong support system or you're working in a dangerous environment, those things can wear on you over time. And yeah. uh, cre- that is trauma. Um, and you are, you're worthy of having trauma. And like, I'm just saying like, not that you're worthy of it, but that it's valid. Yeah. You can say that you've been traumatized. Um, because if you have a lot of these symptoms, this is how we determine if we are traumatized. This is how a, uh, psychologist will say, okay, these, all of these factors really show me that this person has, uh, dealt with some long-term trauma and, um, some of the symptoms of PTSD, are uh, the same as complex PTSD. Like, you know, you have the, you're reliving the experience. You um, are hyper aroused. Like you just are very aware of everything around you, which which is exhausting. Um, And you get startled by little things. Mm. Uh, So that's typical PTSD. Um, uh, Complex PTSD has all of those symptoms along with additional symptoms because it's like supersize me with PTSD. It's like extra. Okay. so you've got the lack of emotional regulation. You're like, when I think back to when I went through the temple and got married, and that was a traumatic experience for me, Um, everything leading up to the temple, the temple itself, the marriage afterwards, um, I had such a hard time controlling my feelings. Mm. number one, because I didn't know how, uh, but also because these feelings were huge and scary. It was like anger. It was uh, betrayal. It was um, absolute fear. And I didn't know how to respond. And I, I remember just being like having these bursts of anger and like just totally being irrational. And, you know, I, I just thought I was crazy, but you guys, that's a symptom. That's a symptom, yeah. Okay. Um, you've got changes in consciousness, which you were talking about disassociation. And that's yeah. when you're like, you could either completely forget the event, which has happened to me, or you just completely feel detached. Like you're thinking about it, you're talking about it, and you, it doesn't even feel real to you. You're completely separate from it. Right. You just have to kind of detach. And that's your survival mechanism, really, mm-hmm. is because 
it's too much. It's too much to handle to to feel it and to go through it again, or even yeah. in the moment, right? Oh God, yeah, yeah. Because um, then you—that's literally something that you will do, and uh, that's a a response is to just completely disassociate. Yeah. Um, and it's like when I was getting married, uh, I was it was like I was outside of my body. It was weird. Mm-hmm. Um, negative self perception, obviously. Oh, Difficulty yeah. with relationships, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, this was interesting. A distorted perception of abuser. Um. This can include becoming preoccupied with the relationship between you and your abuser. So I don't know if anyone else has had this problem, but when you leave the church, you might be a bit obsessed about it. You know, I was, I'm just over here smiling really big because I was like, oh, called the fuck out. Like, I mean, you get obsessed with it to the point where you make a podcast about it. I don't know. I Do I have that symptom? Yes. Katie, (laughs) I I guess I am kind of obsessed with my abuser, which is not as fair. The Mormon church, that's that's what it is, and I'm I'm not like obsessed, but you you do kind of become obsessed because all of the trauma, and also you were deceived for so many years. You want to scream about it and tell other people that it's a lie. Yes, yeah, yes, yes, and so um you know, that's, that's normal, uh, to have when you have complex PTSD. Okay. Okay. Um, now, you know, I've talked about what it is and and we as ex-Mormons have all determined that we have it. Um, so there are four different, like when you have a trauma, when you have something happen, there are, um, like typically, four different responses people typically only know about the fight or flight right mm-hmm. um but there are two other i think i know what they are mm-hmm. Can I what, guess? Are you, what are they is one of them freeze yes and then the other one's fawn is that right that's a good one. you know what that is actually another one but okay. i think it might be appease maybe the same thing as fawn oh yeah it's, yeah that's kind of what i've heard it as is when you fawn you just act sort of like you just go along with it because that's just your body's response. Well, yeah. Like yeah. you, you literally can't help it. And, mm-hmm. um, the, to, to kind of share something like when I was in one of those, um, situations, uh, this last year, I had, uh, I had the weirdest response to a traumatic event and I didn't understand like what happened. And I literally had all of the, like I was in this situation and I went into freeze Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I was like whoa whoa what what okay obviously this didn't happen to me because if I'm freezing and I'm appeasing and I'm not doing anything about it then obviously it's okay so then you get into that whole blaming yourself thing so you have to recognize that those two things are also responses to trauma yes that's your body's response to in order to survive Mm mm-hmm and like, there's a whole neurobiology of trauma, right? It begins when the expense, when the event or experience like totally overwhelms your body's, your brain's normal coping mechanisms. And these events are not traumatic because they're rare or you know never heard of. They are because our normal coping skills, Katie, like become completely overwhelmed, mm-hmm. and um, it we lose that control of 
you know, meaning, safety, connection, we, we lose all of those things because there are different parts of our brain that kind of get involved when uh, we, I mean, I, I, out of fear of boring you guys, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what happens inside the brain when with trauma. Oh, um, I'm excited. Yeah. So uh, there are like, we're just going to talk about three different parts of the brain. You've got your frontal lobes, which is that's where you're reasoning, you're problem solving. That's why teenagers are so fucking stupid because (laughs) their frontal lobe, their prefrontal cortex is not fully complete. So they really can't make, you know, the most sound decisions, right? Mm -hmm. Then you have your limbic system and that's where your nonverbal, your emotional, uh, your, your gut feelings and gut memories and traumatic memories. That's where they live is right there in that limbic system. Okay. Okay. And then in the back, you've got our brainstem, our reptilian brain. And that is, you know, just it responds to hormones. It responds to, to uh, stimuli uh, without thought. Mm, okay. So we, um, they, they actually did brain scans while exposing someone to trauma, which, God, that sounds awful. Oh, yeah. Ooh, but it was fascinating. So thank you people for, um, you know, volunteering to do this. Because the the brain scan actually shows that when the trauma happens, and when we're tri- or when we're triggered, re-triggered, um, our frontal lobe shuts down, and mm-hmm. we get over because we're overwhelmed and and all these feelings are happening, and you know we're just like okay done, our brain shuts down, and so then our limbic system starts responding and it starts having all of this activity, and so it's like it's like a smoke detector, right? So when you like trigger that smoke detector, it's, it's going to be, you know, it's going to go off and, um, your, your brainstem is going to respond. It's going to instinctively respond to what that fucking alarm is doing. You know, when it goes off, like when you're cooking and it's just smoky and you're like, I'm not burning anything. (laughs) And that fucking thing won't stop. It's like, it's the same thing with trauma and with triggers. Yeah. You're, it can come from literally nowhere or, you know, just from a scent, just from something that, that triggers that response. And it's so unsettling. Oh um, yeah. God. And, you know, I was thinking about like the difference between like panic attacks and anxiety attacks when I was researching this and um, they are two separate things. Um, and I use them interchangeably because, I forget that they're two separate things, Um, but panic attacks, uh, there is, you have your regular panic attacks, right? Where they come out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. They kind of like surprise you. Like when I had that panic attack in high school, it just hit me in the middle of home ec class, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Those can come without a trigger. They just happen. But anxiety attacks kind of build. And Okay. um, You know, that makes a lot of sense because. I, I'm very fortunate that I haven't had many of these, but I have experienced them, especially in the past couple of years. And I didn't def- differentiate. So that's really, that's really cool to learn because I, now that you said that it builds, I can distinctly feel that feeling of that yes. anxiety attack and how it slowly builds up to the point where you can't handle it anymore. Exactly. And yeah. that's when your limbic system starts freaking out. The smoke detectors Mm -hmm. going off. And it's like in the middle of the night with a panic attack, it's like the middle of the night, your alarm, the smoke alarm goes off because the battery died. And so you 
it, it's like it comes out of nowhere. Yeah. That's what a panic attack is like. Okay. But with the anxiety attack, it's more like that building, that smoke that builds in your in your kitchen when you're burning water, which I've done. Um, <laughs> that's the anxiety attack. So, you know, our our frontal lobes shut down. Our limbic system gets all hot and bothered. And then our brainstem is like, okay, we've got to figure out what the fuck to do with this shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have so many notes, you guys, like I shared this, um, this little picture of my, oh, there it is of my office when I was like preparing for this. And, um, it probably, it did actually cause trigger anxiety in my husband because he came home from lunch and he was like, holy shit. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm preparing for a podcast. And he's like, what time is it? And I said, it's like in an hour. And he's like, have <laughs> you done anything? And I was like, yeah, You're like, I thought about these it. Papers. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I thought about it. And he's like, okay. <laughs> so that's how I do these things. So your, your body is responding to this, this trauma, these triggers. Um, and you know, that's another word that people use just kind of without thinking is the word triggered. And it's again, just like the, you know, just like PTSD, that's one of those words that's losing its meaning. It's losing its weight because people use it so uh, casually, but triggers are actually like, it's a stimulus, something that happens that contributes to an unwanted emotional or behavioral response, right? It's your body is viscerally reacting to something like a scent or, you know, a, a movie or a fucking person. Or like a song. Yes, a song. Or, you know, I see the missionaries and I automatically have a spike of adrenaline. I'm not lying. Oh, I, I do too. Yeah. So it triggers happen and you have to like kind of work with your brain on how to, to fix your response because what happens when you have this PTSD, when you don't know how to process these uh, traumatic events is, you know, that prefrontal cortex shutting down. Anytime we feel like we're in danger, we have those feelings and those memories. They're all stored in that limbic system. And so when that trigger happens, those memories and feelings come back and you feel like you're in it again. You feel like you're in danger. Um, and that could be anything that triggers that. And the brainstem does the same thing. It starts freaking out. And it's like, this is a real, this is real. This is trauma. And it's like, it might be just you um, walking down the street and uh, hearing, like you said, just hearing a song. And all of a sudden you're just like, why am I like freaking out? Sometimes right. you don't even register. You don't even like really you listen don't even, to the song. No, yeah. And, and for me, uh, when it's happened, it's a few times and it's just been really bad. Um, there's this part of me that under, like, I can look around and I can say to myself, I'm not in danger, but my body is reacting as if I am, you know, (laughs) the increased heart rate, the sweating, and just the absolute panic that you're feeling, even though everything could be just super duper calm all around you, but something triggered that. And then your brain does that thing that you just uh, described and, Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know that science behind it. And that's fascinating. Because Isn't that's, it crazy? crazy? And it's really making me feel validated yes. when I do get those, those, that anxiety attack and I'm wondering what is wrong with me, but it's, it's a reaction to a re-trigger of a trauma. Now I know. Yes, exactly. Ooh. Exactly. 
Yeah. So um, we also just another thing to because you are like hyper what hyper arousal is a thing. Um, so it's almost like you have this constant undercurrent of anxiety um, all the time. Like you just live in this state of of anxious, like anxiously awaiting something to happen. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. So the signs of chronic hyperarousal of being on guard all the time, uh, it causes emotional overwhelm. It causes panic. It causes impulsivity and hypervigilance, defensiveness, feeling unsafe, reactivity, anger, racing thoughts. Like that's, that's hyperarousal. That's chronic. Like if you are constantly in that state, you are probably struggling with some kind of, uh, post-traumatic stress. Yeah. And, um, the, the, also, it just, it, the signs of chronic hypo, hypo arousal, which is when it's the complete opposite. It's when you're numb, you feel like you're like dead man walking almost. Yeah. Um, you feel numb, you feel dead, uh, passive. You have no feelings. You have no energy. You're not able to think you're disconnected. You're not present. You're ashamed. Like you feel so much shame for having those feelings. Um, but that's when you're like super down. And then in the middle where, you know, normal people are is they, they live in this window of tolerance, right? So whenever these strong reactions and strong feelings happen, they're tolerable. They're able to think and feel simultaneously, which was something I didn't realize you could really do. Right. Um, And your reactions adapt to fit the situation. Like you don't start screaming and crying (laughs) when you know a fucking song comes on anymore because you're like okay I know that this song is from when I was in primary I know that it's you know this is what's happening you can talk yourself and reason out of it um but when you're in that situation until you know and until you're able to process those things you're going to live in that constant state of hypo aroused and then just like hyper aroused like it's just going to bounce back and forth it's almost like like bipolar disorder you go from high to low and you don't go anywhere in the middle like it's just not a comfortable place for you and especially not um not being able to pinpoint it like you said or realize that that's what's happening to you I'm just realizing that for a long time especially in my 20s I think I was kind of living in one or the other of those before I was able to regulate a little bit better my realizing what it was that was making me feel certain things and I'm still working on it obviously but it's yeah I mean god I am too you guys (laughs) like there's a reason that I call these my little group therapy sessions with Katie because I am not well (laughs) I'm getting there (laughs) we're getting there and honestly I wonder I'm kind of over here wondering if because I I find that I do get less triggered by church things the longer that I do this podcast. So I wonder if there's something about almost like exposure therapy, which I don't know if that's (gasps) healthy with exposure to trauma over and over, but um, it can be, it cannot be very great. Like that constant exposure can be triggering, but I think with us, we're taking the power out of it. Right. And I think maybe the, the avenue that we've gone down in injecting humor and being able to poke fun at it and, alleviating some of that weight from it I think that I have been able to heal quite a bit more by just kind of you know every week I'm talking about a different topic in the church but it's made it so that when I do hear a primary song or something it's 
it's less it's less triggering triggering less harmful less hurtful than before so I mean that's pretty cool that's a an observation I just made (laughs) I yeah that's actually really beautiful because you know when in recovery, like with Alcoholics Anonymous or whatever, um, they'll say that, that you're only as sick as your secrets. Mm. And with us sharing and taking like control of our emotions, of our feelings, of our memories and being like, this happened and it being constantly validated, that of course is going to heal. Yeah. And so that's why people are getting so much from these podcasts that they don't even realize it's like we're taking the weight out of this and and laughing about it and you know being like this was fucked up you know acknowledging it looking at it and being like okay I'm done and then moving on to the next thing and it's something I feel like uh former uh people from high demand religions when they get out of it I think it's something that is actually super beneficial because um and that's actually something that they recommend is group therapy. Yeah. Because if you're around someone else and you're talking about your pain and they're not just there going there, there, that sucks. Poor you. They're like, God, I feel you. That is the most amazing feeling. Really, it's it like really is. The relief of just like, okay, I I feel like I'm, I'm seen, I'm comforted. I'm getting that hug. You know, it's, it's so, it's so healing. Um, it's even as something as seemingly small as the ex-Mormon subreddit, I think people flock there to find that sense of community and understanding because mm-hmm. they, they're all suffering from some or all perhaps of a lot of those symptoms that we described and they want to be understood and heard. Even if it is just typing on a keyboard, you know? Yes. And, but I think Katie, there's a very good distinction between obsession and, and, um, processing. Mm, Okay. Yeah. Because I think sometimes, um, cause I've, I've been in, uh, ex-Mormon Facebook groups and I'm just like, I can't handle it. It's very, it's, it's not, people are just like attacking the church and not like kind of figuring out why it's fucked up and healing from it. They're, they keep getting triggered. They keep having the responses of anger. They have that emotional instability. Um, like if you were constantly obsessed about talking about the church and how much it fucking sucks, yeah, that's probably a sign that you, you might need to talk to a therapist to help you with this because you need to process it to be able to put it behind you. It's never going to be gone. No. It's like I have a tattoo of a wolf. Um, when I was like wolf pack, I was super into wolves and I have a tattoo of wolf on my shoulder and, uh, you know, that's a constant reminder, right. Of that time in my life. But now because it's on the back of my shoulder, I'm like, it's behind me. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's still a part of me. It always will be. Oh yeah. I don't have to look at it all the time. The Mormon church will always be a part of who we are and how we grew up and how we were formed. Mm-hmm. But we can take that power back and move forward and still talk about it in a way that can help others um, process through. And because I know that I know that our haters think that we and Sarah included all we do all day long is just talk shit about the church. And that's not true. This one hour per week and my my bit of time doing notes is really it. Like I'll occasionally 
talk with someone about it if they're interested or if something comes up in the news. But there's no way I could handle Mm -mm. talking about the church all day long. Like I do it the the one the one day a week, and I'm I'm good. And I think that's at a healthy level when you can kind of start to move past and then talk about it in more of a healing space. <laughs> well, yeah, also because you're not re-triggering yourself all the time. Right, right. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> I was doing that for so long. I was like constantly because I was so obsessed with finding out like get it gaining my testimony of the untruthfulness of the gospel. <laughs> yeah. I that was all I did. And I would listen to those 8-hour Mormon story podcasts like in a day because I would be listening to it while I was at work. I would be listening to it on the way home from work. I was, it was constant and I was constantly just appalled, you know, I was just like, what the fuck? And right. in a and state I think of people confusion. go through that, especially when they're, friends. Oh, you have to, I think. Because, yeah. But you know what? I just had a revelation. You just made me realize something. I think that this is why I'm in a constant state of heightened stress Yes. when I visit Utah particularly. Oh. And the thing is, is that I get very, I'm very excited to see my family. I love them so very much. But when I'm in Utah, I have this particular feeling almost all of the time where I'm, I'm stressed out. I'm extra anxious. I'm almost like paranoid. Oh, yeah. and I believe I I kind of was just like, oh, well, it's just because it's Utah. But I think it's because there are so many constant triggers anywhere you look in Utah, especially in Utah County, especially in Mormon homes, right? There's and especially so, for you. Yeah, there's so for people many, who grew up there. <laughs> there's so many reminders, so many um, references to the church, so many even just artwork of church things that. I you're exposed to that I I'm not mm-hmm. around for most of the year and then I'm like back in it and I'm like oh my body's having this reaction yes <laughs> yes and that's why it's so important to figure out what to do with those emotions and I'll get into that but first okay, okay. we have to discuss what the church tells us to do oh no okay I know well, okay but you're doing this Okay. So that, I mean, that is the fucking podcast. So I guess we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, so this comes from April, 1992, uh, general conference talk by elder Richard. Good fucking grief. Scott. Like, I don't even know what should be his middle initial. Richard I, I like good fucking grief. <laughs> okay. Good fucking grief. Scott. <laughs> he, the title of this, is healing the tragic scars of abuse. Okay. Okay. You guys buckle up. I'm not liking where it's going already, but. <laughs> okay. So he, he discusses abuse um, and, you know, he's like kind of explains it that it happens because, you know, everybody has free choice and free will and other people will, you know, it's an unrighteous attack on your freedom. Right. So you, it was, it, you're supposed to like, um, crap, I totally lost where I was in here. Anyway, um, he's talking about how trauma is, you know, other people do it to you and, you know, it could also be your fault, but you know, it's typically just them. And it says, you must understand that you are free to determine to overcome the harmful results of abuse. Your attitude I highlighted this shit in red. Your attitude can control the change for good in your life. 
it allows you to have the help the Lord intends you to receive. So Katie, if you have a good attitude about it and you're, you know, all good to, to open up to the Lord and, and know that he's going to heal you, you're going to be fine. Trauma is not going to matter. Oh my God. That mm-hmm. is, uh, imagine, I don't, the audacity that these people have, like, I cannot imagine any instance in a million years where someone who, for example, maybe was sexually assaulted comes to mm-hmm. me to tell me their trauma and I go, well, why don't you just have a good attitude about it? I know. And that whole thing of your your trials make you stronger. Fuck that shit. You were already strong. If you made it through that fucking trial, you were already fucking you, strong. You are strong. The trial didn't make the, the trial didn't do it to you. Yeah, you. I mean, maybe the trial proved it, but well, it, was you know a, it was already in you, right? <laughs> what a good point. What a good point. Um, so, you know, good grief. Scott, he says, um, <laughs> you need to seek help. He says okay. that. You need to seek help, which is really important. If you are now or have in the past been abused, seek help now. Perhaps you distrust others and feel there is no reliable help anywhere. Begin with your eternal father and his beloved son, your savior. Strive to comprehend their commandments and follow them because, you know, it's your fault. <laughs> wait, so just pray about it. If Oh, wait, no, no. I mean, you can talk to people, Katie, but. But if you're scared to talk to people, then just talk to yourself in your head. Exactly. And then when you're ready, there's available to you a priesthood leader. Normally I, a bishop. I was wondering when that was going to come in. Okay. <laughs> Normally a bishop, at times a member of the stake presidency. And um, it says you can talk to your bishop in confidence. His calling allows him to act as an instrument of the Lord on your behalf. He can provide a doctrinal foundation to guide you to recovery. And understanding and application of eternal law will provide the healing you require. He has the right to be inspired of the Lord in your behalf. He can use the priesthood to bless you. Uh, That's not helpful. No, and depending on what the situation is, this person needs to either be, or both, either be talking to like a therapist, a doctor, or the authorities, and sometimes both, depending on what happened. Um, I just don't think that religion should be involved in these things. Like you said, it's not helpful. And also, I mean, what a burden to put on bishops. Like, all the stuff that they must have to hear and then deal with, I mean, that has got to be, in its own form, kind of traumatic. I did not even think about that, Katie. You are (laughs) absolutely right. Holy shit. It's just not a good system overall for any of anybody. No. And, you know, he goes on to talk about how, you know, there's principles of healing that <laughs> I got to read this one. Gain trust in the love and compassion of your elder brother, Jesus Christ. By pondering- <laughs> did, you, did you know huh? that our elder brother, Jesus Christ, we also have elder brother, Satan, because they're brothers. Yes. <laughs> okay. And I just Lucy, had to point that out. <laughs> Lucy and JC um, or CJ. Uh, so he says, as with the Nephites, because, you know, Jesus went to the Americas. He tells you, I have compassion upon you. My bowels are filled with mercy. Oh, I just don't want to know anything about anybody's bowels. Nope. I mean, well, we do talk a lot about poop on here when Sarah talks. <laughs> I know. About, so I'll let that slide. I'll, I'll, we can talk about Sarah's bowels. But um, 
I don't want to know what CJ had for lunch. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, it also says that it places a little bit of the blame on the victim here. He says the victim must do all in his or her power to stop the abuse. That is, that is egregious. That should never be said. It gets better. Oh no. The Lord may prompt a victim to recognize a degree of responsibility (laughs) for abuse. I'm sorry. What? Yes, your priesthood leader will help assess your responsibility so that, if needed, it can be addressed. Whoa, whoa, wait. In what in what scenario ever is the abuse victim even partially responsible? I I can't even fathom. I it's any situation where you you're abused and they were like, well, this is partly your fault. Exactly. How does that even work? It I I have no idea. A lot of it goes into him saying you need to forgive people. Um, I, because... I'm getting vibes of like rape victims shaming and him and shaming them being like, well, what were you wearing kind of thing is so you were partially responsible for this attack. Yeah. Oh, oh and what's bad. so scary, Katie, about yeah. this talk in particular is he gets some of the stuff so close to right and then puts that fucking like Mormon spin on it. So that it's so deceiving. I know. I, I, mm, the, these are especially bad when the oh, yeah. get, they get so close to having it right that then the really bad parts get lumped in with the almost right and pretty good parts so that you, you can't, the, the Mormon people don't tell them apart. They're like, oh, this all makes sense. This is all well and good. Like this next sentence says, as a victim, do not waste effort in revenge or retribution against your aggressor, which does make sense. Like you shouldn't waste your effort on that. You need to get focus on yourself, on healing. Yeah, um, but unless this unless this person committed a crime against you, then I say you deserve retribution. I mean, yeah. I but, mean, yeah. I am. A, <laughs> what did you call a Heavenly Father and Jesus? Oh, something Mormon, bitches. Yeah, Mormon God is a petty bitch. He's a petty bitch. Sometimes I could be a petty bitch. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not uh, an all-knowing, powerful God. Like, right? I can be petty. Yeah, exactly. Um, but he says that you need to focus your responsibility to do what is in your power to correct. Leave the handling of the offender to civil and church authorities. Whatever they do, this is where it is. Eventually, the guilty will face the perfect judge. They will be punished by a just God. Oh, I, I was with him, kinda. And I know when he said like, leave it to the civil authorities. You don't need to get church authorities involved. No. And then you don't need to just let bygones be bygones every single time because then he's like, well, even if nothing happens and that person doesn't get reprimanded, it's okay because God will punish him. Like, just forgive and forget kind of thing. Yeah. And then I'm, that doesn't that doesn't address anything. You're no. not gonna heal that way. No, it it is putting a band-aid on like a missing an amputated limb. Absolutely. Yeah. And and pretending like it's still there, your arm's still there, nothing's bleeding, you're fine. It's like that fucking Monty Python guy who kept getting <laughs> shit chopped off. <laughs> oh my god. It's oh boy. But I'm done with talking about him because he doesn't need any more space. Okay. Bye-bye. Good grief. Or good. Bye. Good grief. 
Um, but I wanted to talk a bit, little bit about some healthy coping skills because oh, I think please that is do. super important. That, yeah. Um, besides listening to us, oh. <laughs> um, you know, there are some things that you could do, which is like deep breathing. Um, when you start feeling that anxiety building and you're like, you're in that moment, um, I'm sorry, somebody's mowing my lawn, but, um, <laughs> so when you're in that moment, it, it's, you feel like you can't breathe. Um, and if you just stop and you try to like, I do, uh, I count, I do box breathing, which is I breathe in for four, I hold for four, I exhale for four, and then I hold my breath for four. So it is when you're doing it, sorry, my dogs, when you're doing it, you feel like you're going to die because you're like, I can't hold my breath without any air in my body for four seconds. And then finally you start doing it over and over and your body slows down because you're number one, you're, you're counting, you're, you're focusing on counting something, mm -hmm. you're getting your mind distracted. And that also just, it triggers an actual response in your body, a parasympathetic response for you to kind of calm down. Yes. I have tried this and you were the one who told me about it because I was having a particularly hard time. It was quite a while ago, but you messaged me and told me about it. And mm -hmm. I tried it and it really does help. Yeah. I don't do it very often because I don't like it because it, it's so hard. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Which is dumb because it's breathing. But I mean, that's part of the problem, right? Yeah. Um, progressive muscle relaxation can help um, when you're like, when you're super tense and you don't realize it because we hold trauma in our bodies, you guys, that's why we have chronic pain. Um, you don't realize that certain muscles are tense. And so when you do that focused progressive relaxation, um, you're able to like, you're like, okay, I'm going to tense up my neck. And then you're like, oh, it's already tense. Fuck. And then you work on like releasing your neck and you're like, okay, now my shoulders. And then you just go all the way down until you're just fucking jello. And it's amazing. Um, <laughs> Yes. Uh, mindfulness is obviously a good thing of uh, self-monitoring, like looking where, looking at yourself, being focused on yourself and not necessarily on your exterior, not being hyper-focused on what's going on around you. Think about you. Okay. Think about you for a minute and think about how you're reacting and be preemptive. If you feel like you're like today, I was going into work and I work at out of the home depots and I was going to one that's not a well, I was going to three today that weren't my typical Home Depots and they were all like this. Um, there were day laborers just hanging out outside of the Home Depots. And um, uh, there's a reason that that's super triggering for me. And uh, it just, it like, I was like, okay, I need to go in. I need to go in because it's work. But then I was like, you know what? Fuck that shit. I don't get paid enough to like traumatize myself. And so I sat in the parking lot and I did some work on my computer and then I left. Hmm. Um, so, you know, monitor yourself. Don't put yourself into situations if you can avoid it or try right. not to, right. um, social support obs, mm -hmm. you, you need to find your people and, um, they, they can help you through anything. Like you, you don't have to have them physically in front of you for them to be your people and to feel seen. Yeah. Hello. You can mm -hmm. email us. Yes. Um, you've got self-soothing techniques. Um, one of the things that has been super cool and helpful is, and I like it because it's a rainbow. You can look, you're looking out and you're like focusing on um, finding something that's red. You find oh, something okay. red, you identify it. Then you look for orange. Oh, Yellow. I like this. Mm -hmm. You go through all the colors and then, you know, that just kind of chills you out. 
I've um, never heard of that one. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I actually learned that one in group. Like it wasn't listed anywhere. Somebody just said it helped them. And I was like, holy oh, very shit. Cool. Very yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, um, also a weighted blanket is listened, listed here and I love my weighted blanket. I don't have one, but I've heard <sighs> great things. It's like a hug and it's like, I go into my closet and I, I have my little section like marked off there. It's like my little corner and I have my weighted blanket there, a pillow and uh, tissues. When I'm having a moment, I go in there and that's my, that's how I, I take care of myself. Um, and it helps, uh, expressive writing, journal, 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 journal. One good thing the Mormon church taught us. (laughs) I know. I mean, had I not been like told to journal when I was a youth, I wouldn't have all of these albums of content for this podcast. Beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And somebody made this suggestion during group that was really fascinating. It was like, what if you have two journals, like one for your regular journal and then, you know, where you vent and you do stuff, but then you have one where it's like, tell, like I called it my tell Anne journal. And that's my therapist's name. I was like, these are the things that I want to go over with Anne. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. And, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, what would be super beneficial is not just like writing down what you want to go over with your therapist, but afterwards, like going through that and being like, this is what I've learned from my therapist, from my session with my therapist. Ah, Yes. Yes. So totally recommend doing that. Um, And, you know, distracting yourself, which we're typically pretty good at when (laughs) we, (laughs) I mean, like that, that's a coping skill that we just kind of innately do as yeah. Mormons we ignore so I don't know if I would necessarily <laughs> recommend that one all the time but um sometimes it's good to distract yourself just make sure it's something healthy and not um creating a competitive cycling team um <laughs> or alcohol you know those aren't yeah. great <laughs> uh, you can just watch some tv for a minute <laughs> yeah just chill exactly chill like mm-hmm. binge watch a show that you love even if it's no longer politically correct which is what I'm doing right now um with what so, show? Uh, Friends. Oh, yeah. No, I know. You know what? I, I reference The Office all the time on this oh. show, and I love it so much. I've seen it hundreds of times, but you it's so interesting how you go back and you watch those shows from late 90s, <sighs> early 2000s, and you're like, oh, boy, Ooh. how we've grown as a society. <laughs> yeah, you know what? And that's part of it, too. It's like you're recognizing these things that you thought were okay. You're like, oh, Wow, society thought that was okay. Yeah, I really <laughs> thought that joke was good, and that did not age well. <laughs> you know, what's sad about that, in in my opinion, is people get canceled about stuff that they said when it was socially acceptable. I don't think that's fair. No, I think that I think, they sh- should be able to have the chance to, because you know, they probably look back on it and cringe too, you know. Exactly. And like I said earlier in the episode, I know that I've used problematic language and ableist language about illnesses and mental health before when I was younger and I didn't know but now you know you can take responsibility be like I fucked up and I said that and I'm improving that's really all I can do (laughs) yeah I fucking hate cancel culture I think it's counterproductive because people are allowed to to grow um we are evidence of that yeah yep Mm -hmm. absolutely so um you guys I I just want to highly encourage if you are going through a faith crisis, please, please, please consider reaching out to a, finding a good therapist that will help you through that process. 
um, find somebody who specializes with PTSD because you have been through something traumatic and you're going through something traumatic when you're, you're deconstructing your faith. Absolutely. It's going through that. Yeah. And you okay. don't have to be alone. Yeah. Cause you and I, we went through it alone. Yep. Um, Sarah went through it a little bit alone until she started talking to me, but she was doing it alone for quite a while. And a lot of people that we've met and talked to, they, it's this taboo thing that it's, it's hard to talk about and it's hard to find other people that have left because when you're in the church, it's an us versus them kind of thing. And so you don't talk to the people who have left really as much or as deeply. Never. And so it really is important to be able to, to, to know that you're not alone because it sucks. It really sucks when you're like, am I just going crazy? I don't know, but yeah, get getting therapy and talking about it and working through it is very important. That is definitely one of the things that's really good for treatment for not just PTSD, but CPTSD, because, Mm -hmm. you know, those medications also along with therapy, like, you know, medications can help, therapy can help. It's a combination. You have to really, because it is complex. I mean, there's a reason they call this complex PTSD. Absolutely. Because Mm -hmm. it is a whole mess of shit. It's going to take time to get through it. Yeah. Oh, tons of time. I mean, I'm still going through it. And and I'm glad that you brought up medication because I think, especially for us growing up in the Mormon church, um, I for sure had this ingrained stigma about medication. And I haven't been on it until this past year. Mm-hmm. And I've got to say it's life-changing for me and yeah. that I'm not ashamed of it, but it, I... I regret that it took me so long to seek help in that way too, because of like this, this weird shame that comes with asking for medication for your mental health when there shouldn't be that shame. You, you ask for medicine when you're physically ill. So yeah. yeah, So medication therapy groups, all of that. And it takes time to figure out what combination works for you. Uh Um, One of the biggest like, signs that you have a complex or regular PTSD is these reoccurring nightmares. Oh, I have, I have those. I, I haven't had them as much lately, but oh my God, I didn't know that that was a thing. Yeah. You, you have these reoccurring nightmares. And so like I wake up dripping with sweat. Um, it's awful. Like every night I have super like crazy ass dreams and I have this really weird one. This is random. Um, but I have a weird one where I'm going into public bathrooms barefoot. Don't know. Oh, right. And then I'm like, they're dirty. Okay. Anyway, that's, that's another sidewalk cupcake. I won't, (laughs) it's a gross one. I'm not going to pick it up. Um, (laughs) But you know, I have those horrible, horrible dreams. And um, when I was inpatient, they prescribed me prosacin, which is actually a, uh, I think it's a beta blocker. It's supposed to like reduce your blood pressure and uh, keep you like, chill, which I already have a, a naturally a low br- blood pressure. So it's a little weird. I have a lot of lightheadedness, but it helps with your nightmares. Hmm. It is the weirdest thing. The first night that I took it, I didn't have any nightmares. It's like it softened them. So, you know, even with your nightmares, wow. even with that, it can help. You can find things that will help. Oh my God. that I had no idea there was medication for that. I didn't either. And That's so amazing. like, there is so much hope and help out there. And it's not, not like you have to stay on this medication for the rest of your life. 
right it's a crutch like and yeah it's a tool (laughs) yeah sometimes we need tools for just a little while to help us do something and sometimes we need them forever and that's okay yeah so wow is complex ptsd my friends now you know now you know and i bet most of you have it (laughs) or you have some (laughs) of the symptoms and you're like oh Oh, 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 that's a revelation. Um, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for all of your insights. This, this, this was extremely eye-opening for me. Oh, I had so much fun preparing this this last hour. <laughs> <laughs> really? Like, I have all these sources. There are so many windows open up on my computer. <laughs> oh, it was very informative, Dr. Kelly. Yes. <laughs> You're welcome, Sister Katie. <laughs> All right, listeners, thank you so much. We'll be back next week. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye.